curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. Count this as one of those instances where I should have a lot of listens, and it will most assuredly be because of the name of my guest. This is usually the section of the program where I outline everything my guest has done, but to try and do that with Paul Kiwi is only to ensure that I'll run out of time for our interview. In his career in the promotional marketing industry, Paul has literally achieved every accolade available, every Hall of Fame. I think, Paul, what's the only one? You're not in like the Baseball Hall of Fame, but I think you're in all of the other ones. And more importantly, his contributions to the industry as a volunteer, writer, speaker, mentor, and more engender what the originator of the person who bore the term thought leader must have been thinking when that term came to mind. Currently serving as the executive director for the Michigan Association for Promotional Professionals, Paul's writing can be found in virtually every industry publication, and his keynote addresses and sales presentations are often standing room only. Paul, as we welcome you into the program, is there any one accomplishment that's particularly noteworthy to you? Like if, if we had to distill it down to one, would, would, you, be, would you be able to do it? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> thank you for, so much for that generous introduction, uh, Roger. Actually, there's two. I'm, I'm very proud of uh, my service as chairman of, of PPAI work. Uh, the first six months, I had people coming after me with pitchforks and <laughs> torches because I introduced the topic. One part of our, well, actually, neither side of the aisle really liked it. Um, but it was important, and I'm very proud of where PPAI has taken it. Um, and the other is what MIP has been able to accomplish in the six years that, uh, uh, the past six years, um, watching the turnaround of, of this association has just been uh, very, very gratifying to me. 
Interesting that you talk on both sides of things as it pertains to your volunteer career. I think that is probably indicative of you as a person. But funny part is we're, we're really not going to talk about that part of your career today. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about uh, your, your understanding of the marketplace specific to a very, um, a very specific and targeted uh, buying group. And you've been so generous with your time and your talent, you know, I mean, you've shared a lot of this information with a lot of different people in the industry. But um, I had Jill Albers from Chomsky on recently, and we, we had a discussion, she and I, about her perspective on the business. You know, Jill's company, Chomsky, is a relatively large distributorship, and Jill's really tasked with growing their um, big accounts, their large account business. So... There was a lot of feedback from that episode and really strong listenership. So I know that you, Paul, have a pretty sizable background in this particular topic. And knowing how much you like to share, I figured, why not invite Paul down from the mountaintop to discuss it with we mere mortals? <laughs> and uh, so fair enough. Is that, a, is that a worthwhile topic in your mind for discussion? Sure. Let's go for it. All right. Let's do it. All right, so um, I I'm gonna give I'm gonna take a time out here, and before we get into the specifics of the topic, let let's give you the chance to kind of frame your background when it comes to hunting for enterprise accounts. You know, working on your large account business development stuff. So, talk talk a little bit about that part of your career and some of the logos that were under your watch when that's what you were doing. Okay, well, I've always had a thing for, for large accounts. I, I came into this uh, industry through the uh, uh, initially point-of-purchase display uh, merchandising area, which required large accounts uh, as prospects, um, and then started selling displays, and my clients were saying, how can I make sure my displays get put up? And I discovered the incentive, uh, premium incentive industry. I put up a display, send me a picture of it, and I'll send you a uh, a mag light or <laughs> or something and then right. so I figured out I could put an imprint on on those flashlights and uh, I met a gentleman by the name of Glenn Holt who uh, was working uh, both the premium incentive kind of bringing the promotional products industry into the premium incentive side and uh, and Glenn and I developed a friendship and and uh, he was a real mentor to me and an example of a person who really uh, shared his knowledge and, and helped bring along um, young talent, which hopefully at that time, that's what I was. But <laughs> I, I always started out by by selling either ideas or programs rather than product. And um, my very first account uh, when I started uh, my, my sales promotion agency back in, in 1982 was Elmer's Glue. Elmer's Glue. Uh, Elmer's Glue was part of Borden. And, yeah. And... Um, Within the same floor was Krylon spray paint, right? And, and then rain dance car, car waxes and polishes, and trying to divest myself from being so totally dependent on Borden, I found a cheese company in Wapakoneta, um, Ohio, called Fisher Cheese Company, and landed them. And about uh, six months after I landed them, Borden came along and bought. Them. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up doing Borden cheese, Borden dairy. Um, Real Lemon, Cracker Jack, uh, Weiler's Soup Starter, they, they had a whole stable of, of really large brands. And then over the years, I've worked with Coca-Cola, Kellogg's, Whirlpool, KitchenAid. Um, 
I've always had large accounts on my, my prospect list and a lot of people think, wow, those are great. But <clears throat> the other side of that is Kellogg's was on that prospect list for 19 years before I got my first order. From yeah. Them. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. No, that, that's that is part of what we'll be talking about with large accounts is if you want to target them, you better have some patience. So yeah. I'm a distributor who has the, the Disney account. Took him 25 years, but he's got the Disney. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, talk about getting ready to be able to handle an account, right? 25 years in the making, right? So, uh, I, you know, I, I recall my time, um, gosh, you know, the industry is consolidating at such a rapid rate. You know, the distributorship that I worked at, number 13 in the industry, doesn't even exist anymore. But, um, you know, my time there, as well as even my time in sales predating my time in promotional products really was at the enterprise level. And I, I share your, your, uh, your war stories when it comes to that particular arena and what it means to be competing in it and what's necessary for it to be uh, something that you can be successful at. So yeah, I, I'm recalling very fondly my time in sales around that particular um, vertical market, if you will. So let, let's, let's, Step two of this, Paul, Let, let's establish a framework for, you know, when we're talking about, quote, big accounts, you know, you just mentioned some some monster accounts, Coca-Cola, you know, Borden's, but let, let, let's establish the playing field, if we will. What, in your mind, when, when you're thinking big accounts, what quantification do you typically assign to what that would mean to you? I think for any distributor, <clears throat> um, a large account would be any account that could make up 10% of their volume. Yeah. So uh, for the producer out there who's producing $150,000 a year in sales, a $15,000 account is going to be a big game for them. Sure. Um, and I think it really has to do with, with where you're currently at. Um, I think you can certainly be lusting after prospecting for and getting yourself ready for even bigger than that. Yeah. But I think, uh, I, I use 10% of revenue as, as being, um, uh, when I talk to the distributors about who to target and coming up with prioritizing their prospects, um, I use that 10% rule. There should be at least 10 prospects in your pipeline that you feel could do 10% of your volume whether that's uh, 150 a year, 250 a year, or two and a half million a year. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, there's really two sides of this. One, you know, there'll be people who will be listening that'll say, oh, you know, but tell me how to reach the Fortune 100. And we, we would, uh, you know, our first question back to you typically would be like, do you, do you even have the wherewithal to pursue business of that size, even if you were fortunate enough to to be successful and somehow achieving it. And we'll, we'll touch on that in a little while. But I think to your point, it's important for anyone looking to grow their business by, by the, you know, we would call these splashes versus, you know, transactional business or, you know, pick, just picking up project work from people in your neighborhood. You know, we consider that trickle. And we'll get into that to a certain extent as well, too. But I guess, Paul, what I would say is what, what I've known in this space when we're talking about large accounts, and let's set aside what percent of revenue for the individual distributor's business that might represent for a moment and just highlight 
when we're talking about it is a big account with a large spend, what you and I both know is typically what that means is that that spend for that customer is going to go out to bid. And there's been a lot of discussion lately in the industry around this whole notion of RFPs and the dangers and the challenges and trying to win those. So I'm not going to uh, let's not really go down that rabbit hole. Let's look at it from a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, I think you'd agree with me. It's not terribly difficult to get onto the RFP list, right? I mean, they'll send out as many bids as they can find people to send them to in many instances. So, um, but that being said, getting on the list, there's kind of this incredibly long and winding road from there to actually getting some business. So talk to us, talk to, talk to the listeners about the notion of why it's important for the day that the bid comes out to not be the first day you've met that customer. Why is that a bad idea? Do you agree with that? I, I totally agree with that. Um, I think the ones that are just getting on that list uh, and, and getting that opportunity without a relationship are just filling in. Um, they're giving the procurement a reason to say, yep, we, we had a fair process. We right. had 20 people that, that responded to it. And personally, I feel it's a, a huge waste of time. And um, the amount of time that needs to be put into putting together an RFP could be be much better uh, developed learning about a company as well as making some friends and, and getting to know people. Right. Um, I've always hated RFPs. Um, I've had to participate in them. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> they, they just don't fit my, my type of thinking and my brain. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not the type of thinker that I am. Um, uh, but there's some people that are incredibly good at putting together RFPs. And <laughs> if you're not good at it, I, I highly recommend partnering with somebody who is good at it. <laughs> yeah. uh, Do not waste the time, right? Don't waste the time otherwise. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is uh, do what you're best at. Yeah. And, and, and if you're not good at it, find somebody who is to, to, uh, to partner with. Because uh, just as I'm, I'm very uh, uh, left-brained, uh, it takes a right brain to, to successfully compete for an RFP. Well, and the challenge is, you know, it's oftentimes it's an Excel spreadsheet on online that you're trying to paste your answer into a very small area. And it's a very broad question that requires a significant amount of explanation. And the tool doesn't even afford you the opportunity to respond the way you would. So I, I know what you're saying when... You say, I need my left brain to work with the right brain to figure out how to jam all that what I want to say into that box. And the funny part is, I I actually would tell you that I I was really successful at it. And it was a a lot to do with that marriage of how can you creatively complete the exercise within the confines of what the bidder has given you. And it, that in and of itself can become an art form if you allow yourself the opportunity to look at it that way. Um, it, it presents its own set of challenges, but but we're getting ahead of ourselves and we promised we wouldn't talk about RFPs anyway. So, Yay. <laughs> so, so absent that, absent, so yes, distributors, call them, call them, call, call, get on the bid list. But if they say, oh, great, the RFP is coming out in two weeks you're probably better suited to pass on at that time. So let's assume that that's not the case in this instance, that they have gotten themselves on the bidder list 
and maybe there's two years left until the contract's going to go up to bid again. What would be some of your advice for that distributor for that next phase of, okay, I've gotten myself in the door and I have a chance. Now what should I do? I've always tried to enter from a different door other than the uh, procurement department yep. uh, of getting to know people, usually in the marketing department, usually a brand manager, a sales promotion manager, product manager, um, people of that sort of title. If it's uh, doable, even at the C-level, a vice president of marketing or um, a chief marketing officer, um, that's really where you're going to get in the door. A few words from them during that RFP process uh, is going to go a lot further than, than any fancy writing. But more so, I really honestly believe that you need to look at your prospective large accounts as you want to get a job there. Uh-huh. And you got to do your research. Uh-huh. And when I mentioned the 19-year thing with, with Kellogg's, I subscribed to Progressive Grocer for 19 years. Right, right. I read about their industry. I subscribed to AdAge and, and followed them in AdAge. Uh, of course, today with, with Google Alerts and, and all of the resources on, online that are available, there's no reason for you not to be able to, if you were to meet a high-level marketer at one of those companies, to be able to talk about the problems they're having. Yeah. Because that's what they want to talk about. Yeah. Anybody who's heard me speak has heard this line. Nobody buys promotional products. <laughs> you know, they buy a solution to a to a problem. Right. And if you don't know what's what's keeping them up at night, you're probably not going to start a conversation. At least not a compelling one. So, so I'll take it one step further. There's really kind of two two points I want to mention here. One, if you're if you're an investor. I suspect that you have a watch list for stocks. And those investors that I know that have watch lists for stocks, they're somewhat compulsive about the energy and time that they put into studying those stocks on the watch list. So in much the same vein as you're saying, like, make it that you want to get a job there, I would say, like, approach it the same way you would approach a business that perhaps you would consider investing in. And if it's the kind of company that you believe in sufficiently that you would invest in it. Now, what you're saying is, I believe in that organization and what they do. And second part of that is then, how can you figure out what your unique value proposition is as a promotional products distributor that might fit into what they already have in a way that they don't see yet? And that takes the the investment in time that you discussed. And tactically... What I hear all the time is people will say to me, well, I don't have the time for that. And I would say to you, you don't have a half an hour every morning with your coffee to instead of doing whatever it is that you're spending that half an hour doing to just spending time learning more about those companies on your watch list. Because here's ultimately what's going to happen, Paul, you and I both know it is that window of opportunity will present itself when you're watching and you'll go, oh my God, I know exactly how I can fix that problem for them. And if that's the first time that you're trying to talk to someone there, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. But if you've established like, all right, I see something in PR that they're doing right now that if they were to put this campaign in play, that it would help them be more successful in what they're doing. Think about how direct of a phone call you can make to the person in the PR department at that company about how what you know you can do can help them. And then it's just a matter of whether they think you can or can't. 
So, exactly. so from a from a consultative perspective, what I see, what you see, what we all see is everyone jumping to the sale way too soon, mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of making the investment in the time to find that opportunity for yourself and spending the time and building the relationships with people when they don't want to buy anything from you yet. And, you know, I would always tell when we would go out, you know, to try to meet a new account and they would say, we already have a, uh, we already have a contract in place. I was always like, good. That's, that gives us time to, to get to know one another before you may want to break up and get married to somebody else. So, so, right. so, um, wh- so you said you mentioned Google, but in your mind today, beyond Google Alerts, which if you don't know Google Alerts, do a Google Alert. Just Google Google Alert. How about that? Google <laughs> Google Alert, and that will help you. But beyond that, where where might be some other places? If I'm, for instance, if I'm targeting Coca Cola, where might be some of the other places that I want to might want to be paying attention to, to Coca Cola? Um, I use trade shows. I went to other industry trade shows, and, and Coke's going to be exhibiting at a lot of different trade shows because of all the different um, areas that they're in. Right. Um, by talking to their customers, uh, actually one of the largest sales I made was a $1.5 million sale, came directly because I went to appliance stores and talked to people who sold appliances. I discovered who they were, what kind of families they had, how they went about approaching a customer when they walked into an appliance store um, and why they recommended brand A versus brand B. And when my client was discussing their frustration with their current uh, incentive program, I was able to say, well, you know, here's an idea. And it was a crazy idea. Uh, But I was able to say, I see people that are probably making $15,000 a year and reporting to a parole officer selling refrigerators. And I also see professionals making $150,000 a year. They all need shoes right. to put together a shoe program. Right. And, and it turned out to be a $1.5 million program. And that's also part of the case. You may say, where in our industry do you find shoes? Shoes were the solution to the problem. Right. And I drove the people in my office crazy because I would often leave an, an appointment all excited and say, guess what I just sold? <laughs> Find me <laughs> some shoes. <laughs> I don't know. I've got an hour drive before I get back to the office. I'll be thinking about it. I'll get it out when I get there. That's, yeah. that's part of the value that we can bring is to be that outside thinker um, and and come up with those those sorts of solutions. And those were always, for me, the most rewarding sales. Um, I had a commodity sale of, of, uh, of 100,000 water bottles, and, and that would be a, a great sale for most people in the industry, but it did nothing for me because right. it was, here, here's the specifications, quote on it, right. I won the bid, yay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, you pick up that business along the way while you're searching for the ones that are more gratifying. And you certainly, in those instances, unless it's just something completely against what you stand for, you're gonna take that work because you know that work help keeps the lights on while you're doing the stuff that's that's more fun. But 
you don't get the chance to get those fun ones unless you're willing to do the water bottle order at the same time. And, you know, that's kind of Mark Graham talks about that all the time. You know, this notion of it can't all be Romeo and Juliet and novels every single time. Sometimes it's just a comic book and that's okay too. Right. So, (laughs) um, but that this notion of, of, of listening to a customer is taken on a little bit of a different connotation in my mind. And that has uh, a lot to do with the fact that big brands, especially more so than anywhere else in, the, in our marketplace, are most of them are working on trying to tell a story about who they are to their consumer. And if you're plugged into their storytelling, it gives you the opportunity to bring your creativity to that story if you're willing to make the investment in much the same way as you described. And you certainly can still do exactly what you did. And there's a ton of value in doing that. And I wish more people would. But the beauty of the internet is it's made it so that's not the only thing you can do anymore. And there's a a lot of ways that you can go about listening to what a company is doing. And, And you know, Paul, near and dear to my heart, you and I have been intersecting around promo cares a lot recently. And the idea of social good programs is another way for distributors to really be able to competitively differentiate themselves, both from uh, getting to know their account perspective, because if there's something that that organization is doing philanthropically that you can get involved in, it gets you a chance to meet some of the members of the organization in a place that doesn't have to do with buying and selling. And it gives them a chance to really see what you are as a person and what you stand for. And if it's aligned with what they stand for, Perhaps that will improve your lot in life when the opportunity comes for them to be looking for a new vendor. Secondarily, if you are rallying around causes, it gives other people who may be interested in those same causes uh, a similar rallying cry for the two of you to get together behind. And typically when you're both passionate about something, it leads to a deeper relationship than just that of a vendor to a buyer. So, you know, I all the time am encouraging people to try to get involved philanthropically in ways that are you not that are um, not phony. I mean, you, you have to care about what it is that you want to get involved in, but do it for the opportunity to build relationships with people beyond the ones that you're typically doing in your day-to-day work. And it has a way of being incredibly rewarding in much the same way as our industry volunteerism has been rewarding for us. Right, Paul? That's exactly right. I I met uh, a very good client um, supporting Girls on the Run when that was a brand new program. And I was passionate about running and I was trying to get that passion uh, uh, instilled in both my daughters. And it was a cause that... uh, that I was genuine about, you know, I didn't support girls on the run in in order to meet some influential uh, people. I met some influential people because I was passionate about girls on the run. Correct. And, and if you get that transaction equation backwards, it will be incredibly obvious to everyone and anyone who's paying attention. So uh, my caution there is just find what you're passionate about, get involved in it and watch what happens and really leave it at that. But if you're if you're leaving that part of what you do at the door every day when you come to work, Paul and I can both promise you that you're you're missing out on some richness and some opportunity that you would otherwise not have to miss out on should you bring that through the door with you to work every day. All right, so Paul, let's 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 peel this onion back just a little bit more um, when it comes to so 
for somebody sitting there listening going, all right, I can do that. I, can, I googled Google Alerts. I know what he's talking about. I'm, I'm already putting the alerts in so that I can start to learn some things. So let, let's look inside the business for a moment. Uh, traditionally, in my time doing this kind of work, there's really been two kinds of business to be had at these enterprise level accounts. And they're called a lot of different things, but let's call them in this instance, uh, program business and transactional business. And program business would be the things that members of the organization buy with frequency. They may not buy large quantities of them, but they buy them with frequency versus transactional business, which is I have a project, something that's going on at work, it may be a one-time thing, and I'm in need of some promotional products as part of what I'm doing for that project. So if I'm working on breaking into an account, which of those pieces of the business, those two, would you pursue and why? It's a it's a good balance to have to be, be going after both. In my career, I positioned myself as the program seller yep. and developed those relationships around talking about big ideas, mm-hmm. um, talking about uh, new I, new ways of, of going to market. Uh, with, with KitchenAid, we had the very first online um, consumer rewards program, um, probably a little bit too early, but <laughs> it was the sort of thing that uh, because of who their uh, demographic appeal was on, on the consumer side, it made a lot of sense and it opened up a lot of conversations. Um, but you, you want to be also, you want also want to pick up that transactional business. Yeah. <laughs> it can add up. It's not as, as, uh, um, as romantic. Uh, but, uh, I think both are really driven through relations yeah. and relationships. Yeah. And, uh, particularly at one large account that I had, I was usually talking program business to the director at the director level. Um, but the admin that was the gatekeeper to them, I always treated them well. And they were the ones that were calling me up and saying, Hey, Paul, huh. Jim just gave me this project to run the company picnic this year, or I've got a small sales meeting coming up that, that Jim wanted me to get some things for. Yeah. And I picked up tons and tons of business that way. Yeah. Um, at one of the large accounts I mentioned, in one year I had 324 clients in one one company, and it was an amazing amount of transaction yeah. business from the admins. But it was because I treated with them with respect. I treated them the same way I treated their boss. Yeah, well, and, and you probably were, made them look good because you got the stuff to them on time and with the right logo and all of that stuff, right? So, right. so for me, like. We, we tried to, we, we would most of the time be engaged on the program side and it almost always was a bid. Most of the time we already had a relationship with that account through another line of business. And what we were trying to do was convince them that we could pick up this line as successfully as we could with their print programs. But the transactional business, typically the time, because the timeframes are shorter, they don't have as much opportunity to shop. So your margins have a tendency to be a little bit better. But if you're trying to have transactional business to win the program business and you mess up on the deliveries of a few of those transactions, it makes it very challenging for you to try to pick up that program business. So for me in this day and age, Paul, like I think you're right. The idea is pick, pick what your proficiency is and 
make that be what you communicate as your value proposition to the buyers. And typically what will happen is while you're being seen as the expert in the space that you've carved out for yourself, you end up with other business as a byproduct of it. But typically what you want to be doing is whatever you want to be seen as, make that central to your messaging in as you approach that account. And don't give them this notion of I'm a jack of all trades kind of person because they're looking for specialty most of the time now. And when you're coming in and saying, I can be creative in all of these spaces, but you don't know the right questions to ask specific to what that person wants in their own space, you your credibility as being creative has gone right out the window. So you have to be able to be a little bit more intentional in your questioning around that whichever part of the business, like I said, is the one that you're saying you're an expert in, you, you better be prepared and ready to be able to demonstrate that expertise. So that, that's an interesting, uh, that, that's a very good point. When I was uh, early in my career, I mentioned Cryolin spray paint and I was, uh, uh, I felt I was their go-to for sales promotions and, and uh, promotional ideas as well as doing quite a bit of their merchandising. Um, and, I was with my client and he was interrupted by someone in the hall and I, I stepped away so we could have a private conversation. And as he rejoined me, he goes, Oh, that was that guy. He's always trying to sell me coffee mugs. Why would I need coffee mugs? <laughs> so Paul, can you get me some coffee mugs? <laughs> they were, <clears throat> there were a five hour drive for me. Uh, um, in Columbus, Ohio, I was in Kalamazoo. And so I always had a lot of time to think about my, my calls and on the way, back I was thinking about that and a couple weeks later I came back to him with a with a sales promotion idea uh, take a Krylon coffee break it reinforced the idea that uh, Krylon dried for the second coat within 10 minutes and uh-huh. so the whole premise was you put down your first coat go take a Krylon coffee break and and you can come and finish the job nice and I sold him 10,000 coffee mugs and he never Never thought about it. Connected the dots. Right. I sold him 10,000 copies. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's, that, that is in and of itself a great example of when you have the relationship, you, you, you have the, the power and the control. All right. So let's, let's turn our attention inside for a minute. Back, back to the distributor and his or her business. All right. So we've done the work. We've Googled Google Alerts. We've, we've realize that they have a giving uh, foundation. We've approached them. They're doing business with us now. We, we think we're on the precipice of something really big. So think, things are looking good. What would be the three questions I should be asking myself as the distributor when it comes to like, how can I make sure I'm going to take care of this account if I continue to be successful? I think uh, the first one is, honestly, can I create value for this account? Can I offer them something that they really need and they're going to put a value on? Uh-huh. And aligned with that is, can I do it profitably? Right. Um, part B to that, are they going to kill me? <laughs> right. <laughs> One of the large accounts I had uh, and I worked with for many years just kept changing the relationship, trying to change the relationship. and trying to move me into a corner I didn't want to be moved into. And they came out with a new contract with that their terms were net 90 days. Right. And I had to resign the account. Right. It was, um, 
with our, our net 30 that they had agreed to, they were paying me on 65 days. Right. And I thought was if I agreed to net 90, what's it going to be? 120, right. 130. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to write a check twice a year. Um, Especially when you're talking about sizable revenue numbers, that can be just devastating to a company's cash flow. I mean, exactly. You can yeah. you can put yourself in a bad way very quickly, and I guess the the message there, right, is it's there are let's just say there's buyers out there that will suck you into their vortex and take advantage of your enthusiasm over doing business with them because of the size and the apparent uh, you know cachet of doing business with them, but but then only to chew you up and spit you out and move on to the the next smiling naive enthusiastic promotional products distributor that doesn't know any better. So you know having some solid understanding of what will the impact of the revenue you're going to bring from that account mean to your organization's uh, cost structure is one of the most important things to consider beyond what Paul described as far as receivables. Those are to me, those are the two most important things is what I'm going to have to spend in product enough or so much that I can't wait for my money. And am I going to have to bring on so much new help that I won't be able to support the cost structure of what the business is I'm going to get and those two things in conjunction. And if you can't answer something confidently out of both of those, what do you think, Paul? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that big game hunting um, idea or reference, you're not going to go after Grizzly Bear with a 22. And uh, <laughs> and if you do, there's a good chance you're going to be the game. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. You could you could kill the Grizzly Bear with a stick if you get lucky. But who? what are you going to do with the meat? If you can't, if you don't know how to cut it up and you don't have any refrigerators, right? Like, oh, I got it. Now what do I do? Like, that's, that's the biggest concern. And I think, you know, there's some really uh, talented sales professionals out there that probably could talk their way into a fair amount of work only to realize, oh my God, what did I do? Yeah. The third question um, I think is, is critically important and, and that's, can I love myself afterwards? Can I handle this account and remain true to my values and what I stand for and my purpose? Um, because there's some people that may ask you to do some things that are against your whole moral structure or against your value system um, or are going to ask you to be somebody who you're not. And that's not a way to live and it's certainly not a way to make a living. Yeah. you know, uh, Amen. And... <laughs> And isn't it amazing how in our collective time in sales, that has become as okay as it is today. That was not the case in my first 10 years in sales. It was you take whatever business you can get from whomever you can get it, and you say thank you, and you don't speak up. And it's not like that anymore. And right. and I'm for one, thrilled over the idea of not having to sell your soul in order to be in this profession. And the more of us that are willing and vocal to communicate to newer members of our industry as they enter to say, don't sell your soul to the devil. It's not worth it. And I've never, like I said, never before have I, have I seen it in that way. And so, Paul, I appreciate you ending it on that note because you know, at the end of the day, all of this really is 
go chase it. Chase chase whatever it is that you think is out there for you. But at the end of the day, if it's not going to help you make your life more happy and your family happier because of it, don't do it. <laughs> so, Paul, what's next? What's next for you? Where where can people hear or see you next? Where, where might somebody want to find Paul in the next 30, 60, 90 days? <laughs> Well, if you're going to Expo East, I'm going to be speaking on Monday at uh, 4 o'clock on uh, Generation Z. Um, I've heard enough about millennials. Uh, let's talk about the ones that are coming up behind them. Okay. And we've been seeing some of them in the news, and um, we're going to be seeing a lot more of them. Actually, it's a bigger demographic than, than millennials. Um, on the 18th, I'm doing a webinar on advertising and marketing, um, a brand-new overview of the, the industry. Uh, the differences between advertising, marketing, branding, and so on. Um, it's one of CA, one of the CAS required courses. Um, you can get more information of that on, on the PPAI website. And I'm Paul at MIPA.org. I'm always open to um, anyone who has any questions about the industry. If there's any way I can help you, feel free to reach out to me. And I would echo Paul's comment there. I have never not known Paul to pick up the phone and offer whatever advice and help you could possibly give. And on behalf of everybody in the industry, Paul, and myself included, thank you so much for all that you do for all of us. Uh, it is noteworthy and it is recognized and appreciated. And I can't thank you enough for spending time with me today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Roger. Always great talking with you. Thanks, Paul. Take care.